Welcome to Why Did You Read That? A podcast. A podcast. Brought to you by High Plains Library District. Indeed. Starring Megan. Mm. <laughs> and Peter, who is me. Yeah. Um, on this show, we talk about some books. Uh, we both have, you know, reading tastes that delve into the unusual in some different ways. Yeah. And then also, you know, dip into the mainstream. We're all over the place. All over the place. Um, so we each bring a total of four books apiece. Mm-hmm. We'll talk in depth about two books each. Yeah. And then skim to medium in depth on the other two. Yeah. Depends on how how deep we get going into it. Yeah. Depends how excited we are about the yeah. four and also how which ones are selected. Right. Sometimes I bring four and there's one of them that I'm like... Megan didn't pick that, and that's fine, because <laughs> I didn't really have much to say about it. Yeah. But, um, so, uh, yeah, and I'm starting this week, mm-hmm. but we also always start with a joke. Yes, we do. That you always bring. I always have it. I don't think I've ever done it. No, you're not the joke guy. I'm not this a jokester. Is, this was my way of continuing to torture you after we no longer shared an office. That's true. Oh, are we ready? I've got I've got a laugh track, I think. Okay. All right. Are you ready? I am ready. So, Peter, I'm worried about the calendar. <laughs> okay. Its days are numbered. <laughs> I do like the short, sweet nature of that one. Yeah. And also, it's just like... Yeah. That one was good. All right. I you. liked it. Thank you. I liked it on a, a joke writing level. All right. I'm, I'm a harsh critic. Success. Yeah. <laughs> we keep saying, uh, hopefully next time we do this, my partner should be here. Because whenever she listens to this show, um, which she mostly, she listens to this show and just talks about how great you are at book talking and how much <laughs> she likes the sound of your voice. <laughs> Not one compliment my way ever. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, well thank you thank yeah. you very much i appreciate yeah that. just so you know you're very much appreciated um <laughs> and she always laughs at the jokes she's like that's a great one and then whenever we record and she's not here she's like what was megan's joke and sometimes i'm like ah, oh, i don't remember you'll have to listen to it and she gets really frustrated yeah but i'm like hopefully she should be here because i'm like she should sit in at least for the joke part right and then she can laugh well, hey, we can accommodate a special guest, too. That's true. If you are a big laugher, if you find yourself laughing at these jokes, or and or if uh, you have a particularly hilarious or interesting laugh, um, welcome. Yeah. We'd love to have We'd you. We'd love to have you. <laughs> if you comment on any social media, Peter will see it because he monitors all that stuff. So if you'd like to come. Yeah. Just let us know. There's nothing I like better than uh, you're watching a video of like, usually it's like a youngish guy skateboarding or on a BMX bike and wipes out in some weird way. And he, there's always that friend in the in the background <laughs> who's like just laughing uh, maniacally. Yeah. You know, and sounds like sounds like some kind of wild animal <laughs> crying out in the night because they're just <laughs> laughing so hard and have some goofy laugh. Yeah. There's also, I really like the wheezing laugh. Mm-hmm. One of my favorites of these little videos was of a, was a couple out on a date. And the lady was filming her uh, partner. And he was like swirling wine around in a glass. 
and then went to smell the wine, but like tipped the glass too far and just inhaled it up his nose. (laughs) (laughs) You know, and you could tell that he was like trying to be fancy, but is not fancy. And she was, she was just wheezing, (laughs) laughing because she couldn't stop. (laughs) He's just trying to like play it off like nothing happened, but she's dying. Yeah, you gotta embrace those moments. Everyone saw it. Just it, laugh. Oh, uh, it was so awesome. <laughs> anyway, all right. I'll share my four books. I'm ready. Um, one of them is called 101 Things I Learned in Film School by okay. Neil Landau. This is from a series of books called 101 Things I Learned in Usually Something School. Mm-hmm. So there's like architecture school, in business school, and other things. Um, but this is one about film school. Okay. And they're just kind of quick tidbits that you would learn in film school. Okay. Uh, one is called Radioactive Dreams by Justin DeClue. Okay. This is a uh, pretty in-depth catalog of the films of filmmaker Albert Pune, who is probably best known for making the Jean-Claude Van Damme hit Cyborg. <sighs> Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Next is one called Mr. Burns, a post-electric play, I think it's called, Uh uh, by Anne Washburn. This is a play about a future, a post-apocalyptic future where uh, sort of roving troops of dramatists put on episodes of The Simpsons. Right. Um, So Station Eleven, but for the rest of us. I've never seen or read Station Eleven, but probably. (laughs) Um, And then the last one is maybe a book I've talked about before on here. I can't remember. Okay. But there's a new reason to talk about. Okay. It's called House of Leaves by Mark Z. Daniel Lewiski or Lewiski, depending on. I don't know how to say it, but I know who you mean. Um, which is a horror novel with a very unusual layout and structure yep um and it's kind of come back into the zeitgeist so i wanted to talk about it to also talk about why okay um because it's fairly interesting okay those are my books i would like to hear about your mr burns novel your play okay so this is mr burns by ann washburn Mm -hmm. um it's a play, so you know the way it's written is uh, with stage directions and everything like right. that. So if you've never read a play before, you probably probably most people have read like a Shakespeare or yeah. something in school. So it's a little bit like that, but it's much easier to understand because <laughs> they don't use words like exuit, you know, or whatever. Um, <laughs> um, so basically, what happens is in the it's a three act play. The opening act there's um. Uh, some kind of apocalyptic event, explosion, something. And uh, the, there's kind of uh, survivors who are coming together in groups or whatever. And they're sitting around a campfire and they're kind of just reminiscing about uh episode of The Simpsons. Because right. this is kind of a cultural touchstone that they all remember. Um, and then in Act 2, it kind of ha- it cuts... Each act goes forward several years. Okay. This one probably goes like 10 years forward or something like that. And uh, there's a group of people who formed a sort of traveling group that puts on episodes of The Simpsons. Uh But it's kind of interesting because uh, people who can remember jokes or lines from the actual episodes, that becomes like a currency. 
So, you know, they can sell those lines to this troop. But then there's another troop who's like also doing the Simpsons. There's several mm-hmm. that are all doing it. And one is kind of trying to absorb a lot of the other ones and like buy out their episodes and their lines and stuff. Um, so there's kind of this whole Simpsons based economy. <laughs> and then um, I don't want to get too much into everything that happens, but then like uh, the third act kind of explores like. You know, when when people haven't had access to this for like 80 years at this point, um, what it evolves into and sort of how it's om- <sighs> this is like really pretentious. So just excuse me for a second. It's like sort of <laughs> what if the Simpsons were like the modern version of mythology? You okay. know, so like how those stories like if we related the story of the Odyssey to someone from that time, they would probably be like, what are you talking about? You know what I mean? Like, that is not how this works. Um, it's really, uh, it's fun. Mm-hmm. I liked it a lot. I liked, I think what I liked about it is it felt very for me because, you know, I was of that generation that grew up with the Simpsons yeah. and was probably of prime Simpsons viewing age during the seasons that seemed to be mostly considered the golden the years. The golden, yeah. Yeah. Um, it does have, like, a lot of Simpsons references in it, but you don't necessarily have to be super familiar. It does also have some kind of interesting, uh, if you're into, like, post-apocalyptic stuff. You know, there's a sequence towards the beginning where everybody, everybody sort of keeps a notebook of everyone that they've met and kind of a brief description of them. Mm-hmm. And so if... I come across a new group, we kind of all share who we've met and like who we've seen in case somebody else knows them. So right. that they can kind of maybe That could be get... my uncle Michael. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Or like you were up in this area. Did you happen to run across so and so? And I would look through my book and be like, eh, eh. but, you know, everybody's kind of got more or less organized books and stuff like that. Because right. They're all individuals. Right. Um. So I think it does add some kind of fun elements to the idea of the post-apocalypse that I hadn't... It is a little original that way. Um, A whiff of freshness. Yeah. (laughs) And I do like to read the occasional play. Um, This one... The big challenge in this one is the third act is like almost entirely a musical act. And it's to the tune of a song that I don't know. Uh, and it could be... Do you a, remember the song? I don't remember. Okay, I'm just curious. It could be, yeah, if you're like familiar with musicals, maybe it's like everybody knows that. <laughs> it's not one that I was like, I don't know what I would know. Right. But it didn't say from Rent or from uh, Les Miserables or Phantom of the Opera. Right. So, or Spider-Man the Musical. So I didn't know. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't 8 billion million hundred six hundred minutes or whatever. 525,600 minutes. I was close. <laughs> I got the 600. <laughs> um, who, whoever made that song? That's like quite a feat. Jonathan to like, Larson. To put that number in a song. If someone was like, we need this song, but this wildly large number needs to be in the chorus. Yeah. I'd be like, I quit. First but it of works. all, I quit. Yeah, it does. It works. It's a great I don't song. Understand how that they whole did that. that whole musical is pretty great. I think 
It's a uh, it's quite a feat. Yeah, I, I was very impressed by, because yeah, I would just quit. Yeah, I'd be like, well, you're gonna have to find someone else. I don't know. Well, if you're interested in learning more about Jonathan Larson, you should watch Tick Tick Boom, which I think is on Netflix. <laughs> quit trying to hijack my recommendation. Sorry. Sorry. Anyway, um, it's fun to read a play once in a while. Um, I'm not like a theater guy. I'm not a yeah. theater goer. I'm aware or, of this. Like, yeah. I did drag you to see Book of Mormon with me. Which I enjoyed. I think theater for me is a little long, usually. I, I don't have a, a great attention span. So, like, that's hard for me. But um, reading a play is fun because it's quick. Yeah. You can read it and, like, you can kind of get the idea of a story, at least. And I find that plays seem to have some interesting ideas a lot of times. Mm -hmm that you don't find in a prose book. It's also fun because if you read a play and you're not not feeling it, you can still finish it and it's not going to like, it's not a lifestyle for you now. You know, if you're right. trying to read Infinite Jest oh. and you're like trying to get through this 1200 page yeah. tome. Ulysses. Yeah. It's like, that's your life now. Yeah. <laughs> this is who you are. <laughs> but for a play, it's like you can kind of just dip in and. Yeah whatever um so i enjoyed it quite a bit and i think it's not you don't hear a lot about plays and also i think it's kind of mixes the idea of like you know plays i think a lot of us who aren't into that sort of thing think of plays as being highfalutin and, oh, no are we going down the poetry road a little bit <laughs> i'm bordering on it but i'm gonna i'm gonna veer off don't worry, people. This is not a poetry episode. This is not a play episode. No, 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 no. Not at all. I mean, I'm not like, I'm going to read plays all the time. You know, I'll yeah. read like one every year or two yeah. years. I think the last one I read was one that um, Larry David wrote. Yeah. And it basically, it was like reading a script for a Seinfeld episode. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh yeah, I can picture this in my head. Do you know what I've discovered recently? I've in the last several months, I got a new job where I now purchase a lot of the audiobooks for the library. Mm -hmm. And I've discovered that there is a company called LA Theater Works that releases audiobook versions of plays. Yeah. And it's great. That's a good idea. Yeah. There was, what was the one? Sunset Limited. Cormac McCarthy wrote, I don't know if it was a play or a screenplay, but then the audio version was, I think... It had like a really good cast and yeah. it was like really well done. Yeah. LA Theater Works is like that. It's all these like Hollywood famous people and they kept recording even through the pandemic because they could do it remotely. Oh, yeah. So they've been pumping out like really good audiobooks. We have Twelfth Night for sure because I added it. Nice. And it has, yeah, famous people. Yeah. And it really lends itself to that format. But yeah. It's kind of that, like, this is how this is more... It's closer yeah. to how it's meant to be. Right. So the last act of it wasn't my favorite. But also, I'm like... People who know me know that I do not like when songs are in books. It's yeah. kind of like a pet peeve of mine. Like, that's what that's what train wrecked me on Lord of the Rings. It's like, I can't take it. Poor Tom Bombadil. I hated that so much. Lord of the Rings was harder, too, though, because, like, it didn't give me, like to the tune of whatever. Right. So I'm just reading it and I'm like, this is some Elvish song that I'm like, which by the way, they should have made it an Elvis song. No. And then. <laughs> <they could've>... No. 
Stop. <laughs> they could have slipped that in and got no. away with it. Uh-uh. Also, this was written pre-Elvis, so. Oh, that's true. All right, well, maybe I should do... When that comes into public domain, I have a very specific way in which I'm going to ruin it. <laughs> I'm going to I'm going to forget to remind you that you said that. I mean, we're probably still a good 20 years away from that, right? At least. Yeah. So, Winnie the Pooh just came into the public domain. All right. You might be safe, Tolkien. You might your legacy might be safe. Yeah. From me. It's a <laughs> it's a race. Will it come into public domain? Or will I be dead? Or will I be old and not care anymore? Yeah. We're hoping for number three. I'm th Number three seems like the odds-on favorite, Yeah, to be honest. Because, <laughs> yeah. But, um, but this one was a little easier to read because it's like, presumably you would know the song, but also it has lots of clever Simpsons references right. in the song. And it... It references a musical episode of The Simpsons, right. so you kind of have some basis there, too. Yeah. Some modern pop culture bits make it maybe a little more accessible. I think so. Yeah. yeah so especially if you're if you're familiar with the episode of The Sump Simpsons. 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 I'm cutting this out. <laughs> Better not. <laughs> if you're familiar with the episode, I think it's called something Cape Fear, some... Oh, uh-huh. Um, where uh, Sideshow Bob is follows the Simpsons to their like witness relocation, whatever. And um, it's a lot of it's based around that episode. So okay. if you're familiar with that episode, even vaguely. Yeah. That gets you well into what this is all about. Yeah. And this is on Hoopla, correct? This is on Hoopla. It's under the name. It's like Mr. Burns and other plays. Okay. So I guess if you checked it out, you would... Uh, get some other stuff which i cannot vouch for either way but i would read another ann washburn yeah i'd give it a shot all right and if any amateur theater well or professional theater company sure. why limit it is looking for something to do i would do this cool because i feel like then you can hook people in because you're like it's a simpsons thing yeah and then maybe you can get dopes like me who are like i'm not going <laughs> to a play and then they're like but it's simpsons kind of i'd be like hmm Okay. And listening. Know, yeah. If you had to get me to a play, that's the way to do it. Yeah. So there you go. Mr. Right. Burns. I went to a play last month. Because <laughs> I'm that kind of nerd. Simpsons material? <laughs> Zero. It was oh. the color purple. <laughs> I heard, okay, brief departure. So my mom used to take us to plays when we were kids. Yeah. Because the university's here in town. And right. they have a pretty good drama department. But, you know, as a kid... Yeah, you don't care about art things? It. No, <laughs> not at all. Um, and so finally at some point I put my foot down and was like, I'm not going to the play. You know, I don't want to go. Go without me. So she went with my brother and they came back and told me, and I think it's called like The Boys Next Door or something like that. Okay. And they were like, it's like a comedy. And one of the main characters is this like adult man who's really into Spider-Man. And I was like, shut up. Like, you're making, this is, you're just making something. You guys just went and sat in the Dairy Queen car parking lot for two hours and made up a play. You to, skipped the one you might me. have liked. That was, yeah. I was like, if I could go back in time, I'd be like, this is what your life's going to be like. This is very emblematic of your future. You know, I have to say, I went, I saw a play at the Buell called mm. the, the Show That Goes Wrong. Mm-hmm. 
uh, or the play that goes wrong, I forget. Uh, but it was the funniest thing I've ever seen. I had no expectations for it, but it's literally the, it's like this small um, company putting on a play and like the door keeps getting locked and people can't get onto the set and somebody <laughs> knocks themselves out accidentally and they're like trying to pass them through the window while the play is still going on or like the <laughs> set collapses on top of someone. It's It was great. If anyone ever has a chance to see the show that goes wrong or the play that goes wrong, I really recommend it. All right. Alternate title for Spider-Man, Turn Off the Dark. <laughs> I mean, it did go wrong. One of these days I'm going to read Song of Spider-Man so we can talk about it on here. Okay. Well, that's about how it all went wrong. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> I listened to the soundtrack of it and it was pretty bad. Yeah, I don't like when they have pop people do uh, musical scores. I feel like they're two different skill sets. I thought I could get into it because I was like... Well, if anyone can get into this, it would be me, right? Because yeah. I'm like, I don't really care about theater, so it doesn't matter to me if it's not good theater. But also, I was like, I'm into Spider-Man, so like that should carry me some way. And yeah. then I listened, I downloaded the soundtrack because I was like, I bought it. I purchased this with money. Well, yeah, because no one else has it. I know. That was the thing. I was like, I can't find it anywhere. Yeah. Because <laughs> uh, for good reason. Yeah. You know? Like, yeah, I've heard mm -hmm. some of the music and it was not for me. Yeah. Wasn't, but I have since seen two of the stars of that show in other things live. I would pose that if they are going to do something like that, they should have John Carpenter score a musical for a Halloween musical. Mm. I think that could work. I would see a Halloween musical. Right? They can also use the song Hunter's Moon by Ghost which was in the movie Halloween Kills, Ends, one of them. Halloween something. Yep. Okay. All right. I'm ready for yours. <laughs> All right. I have, first off, Dark Matter Presents Human Monsters, which is a series of short stories edited by Sadie Hartman. Then I have a picture book, children's picture book, called The Hips on the Drag Queen Go Swish, Swish, Swish. By Little Miss Hot Mess, who is a drag queen. See, that's a song I know. Yeah. The wheels on the bus. Go so swish, now, swish, now swish, I know. Swish. It's hard to say that. Try to say swish, that. Swish, swish, swish. Yeah, that is hard. It's hard to say Because it starts and ends with almost the same sound, but yeah. not. Uh, then I have A House with Good Bones by T. Kingfisher, mm -hmm. which is a horror novel set in the South mm -hmm. in a haunted house. Mm-hmm. Then I have a historical mystery called A Peculiar Combination by Ashley Weaver, which is about a safe cracker uh, in London during the blackouts of World War II. Dang. <laughs> <laughs> These are some good choices. Well, I want to hear T. Kingfisher for sure. Okay. I already know. So let's start there. Start there. That gives my back burner brain some time to make the cool. other decision. <laughs> Well, this is uh, T. Kingfisher's most recent. It was released like in the last month, I think. It's pretty new. <coughs> Pardon me. I was trying to remember because you must have talked about one of their other books. Oh, yeah. Before, I've right? done um, the one with the rabbit on the cover, mm -hmm. What Moves Something. And I've done the um, the one with the trees based on the the birches or whatever yeah okay but yeah so i've done at least two and maybe even nettle and bone i think i might have done nettle and bone too probably i read a lot of t kingfisher and i always bring it so we've probably discussed 
everything I've read. <laughs> well, now we've got a new one. Yep. I'm ready. So uh, it's A House with Good Bones, and it's about um, this woman who is a like an archaeologist, but for bugs. So she like goes through old trash heaps, like ancient trash heaps and like kitchen pantries and stuff to f- figure out what they were eating based on the bugs that show up, like okay. the, the carcasses of bugs. Okay. So she's an entomologist, but also an archaeologist. That's sort of a specific kind of... Yes. Okay. So she is booked to be on this particular job that will take her away from home. And so she sublets her apartment room. And then it turns out that there's some sort of a delay, like they found human remains or something, and they have to go through, you know, some sort of process before they're allowed to go in and dig. Mm -hmm. So she's left with like no apartment and no job site. So she's like, I'm just going to go stay with my mom. I haven't seen her in a while. And so I'll just spend some time with mom. So she drives to, I'm pretty sure they're in Georgia, somewhere in the South for sure. And her mom has always, she was a single mom and she's always been like pretty liberal and pretty like colorful. And she was one of those swearing moms and all of that. And so she pulls in and the first thing she sees, first of all, is a vulture sitting on the mailbox. (laughs) (laughs) And she's like, okay, interesting. And it turns out that there is a wildlife rehabilitator on the street who rehabilitates vultures. And so that's where it comes from. All right. Um, but when she comes into the house, like all of the walls have been repainted, like just beige. Mm-hmm. Um, they used to be all these wacky colors and they've been repainted beige. And when there, when her grandmother died, there was this big picture. This was her grandmother's house when she was alive and now it belongs to her mom. And there was this big picture of like the Confederate wedding um, in the the living room and they always hated it. And it was the first thing to kind of come down off the wall, but it's back up and, you know, on the wall and her mom seems like off. And so she's kind of worried. And so she's talking to her brother on the phone and he's been worried about her. And she's like, I see what you mean. Things are weird here. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, like she wakes up that first night and there are, there are like ladybugs everywhere, like a, like a, a swarm of ladybugs. Um, and she's an entomologist, so she's not freaked out by ladybugs. So she just kind of vacuums them up and releases them outside. And hmm. um, But she's like, why, why are they here? Why did they come into like my bedroom? What is going on? Yeah. And there are like no bugs in the backyard. There's crazy rose bushes everywhere, but no bugs, which is weird. And she doesn't, she doesn't particularly feel comfortable that there aren't bugs. This is the sort of thing, yeah, an entomologist would yeah. notice. I'm uncomfortable with the fact that there are not as many yeah. bugs as there should be. Yeah, and she's like asking her like, mom, are you this using like heavy-duty pesticides? <laughs> like, what are you doing? Um, so there's like no cell phone coverage. There's bad internet. So they're, they're kind of limited. And her mom has this job, so she kind of goes and stays as a, at a hotel for a few days. And Sam, the main character, starts having these weird dreams that she attributes to sleep paralysis, where, like, she hears her grandmother's voice and she feels, like, skeletal fingers, like, touching her hair and stuff. Mm -hmm. And then she wakes up and there's nothing there. And so she's like, oh, it's just a dream. And then she'll wake up and there are, like, leaves on the ground. But she's like, I'm sure I tracked them in with me when I came in from outside. And at which point everyone who's ever read a horror novel is like, no, no, no. That's not how this works. (laughs) This is the thing with, yeah, horror novels is like you're getting into it and you're like, everything is just like, you know, you know where it's going in terms of like, 
but they don't know they're in a horror novel. Right. So you're like, I know that this isn't weirding you out that much that you're like covered in ladybugs, but like. I promise it's a problem. Yeah, I guarantee you. <laughs> this is not just like a, well, one weird quirk happened. Yeah. And... <laughs> so it turns out that her mom believes, and of course we know is correct, that her, uh, that the grandmother of this family never left the house, that she's still around. And she started like repainting the walls a nice normal beige because that would maybe keep her from being angry you say, and, when you say never left the house you yeah mean when like she a, died a ghostly okay yeah. so she is dead she's dead this isn't a the boy situation no 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 <laughs> where she's living the grandmother the died and um she wasn't a particularly nice person mm -hmm. and so you know they you know they grieved her i'm sure but it wasn't like they weren't super close because she was kind of controlling and terrible in a lot of ways. Um, but then when things started happening, like the mom was like, well, okay, so I'll repaint my bright colorful walls beige. Maybe she won't be so mad. Mm. I'll put up the Confederate wedding painting because maybe then she won't be so mad. And so her daughter is like, my, my mom is maybe sliding into dementia, you know, and mm -hmm. slowly becomes more convinced that there's something going on in this house. But it's basically like both a, like a generational like family story and also a haunted house story um, that ends up going in an unusual direction. Cool. Involving bugs and plants and stuff. That sounds great. And vultures. I like that the classic, like it was such a staple for so long, the classic, like, appease the ghost and yeah. then the ghost goes away story and i feel like that really changed somewhere around the ring mm. where it was like no you can't really appease the ghost yeah because that's not what they want yeah they just they're mad <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah they they want something and it's not like repainting the walls right they're not like oh that's fine yeah. I'm satisfied. Well, and the mom said, like, it, it worked for, like, two weeks. Everything was calm. But then, you know, everything went bad again. And so then she hung up the painting and it just keeps getting further and further and further. I always think that's funny, too, because, like, when it's the appease the ghost story and it's like uh, the ghost knows what it wants to be appeased but is and can do a lot of things, can terrify you and, like, show up and do stuff. But cannot communicate to you clearly, like, yeah. hang up my painting and right. then everything will be fine. You know, <laughs> they just can't do that for some reason. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, you know, you get those moments of, like, sleep paralysis where it's like the roses want you to say your prayers. It's like, ugh. Yeah. And you're like, what? <laughs> that made sense to me when I was in that sort of half dream thing. And yeah. now it's very creepy. Yeah. I like I like that too. I like the creepy stuff. Yeah, it's very know. it's got it's atmosphere. It's got yeah. lots of atmosphere. I like unsettling things yeah. like that where you're like a bunch of ladybugs and you're like, yeah, that's different than like the the room is full of spiders or something. Yeah. But it's still like it's weird. Well, and the way she describes it is pretty cool because like she'll go into the bathroom and the sink is full of ladybugs, but in the dark it looks like it's full of blood. And she flips <laughs> on the light and it's like actually ladybugs. We've been having this summer, well, in the spring, we we're having so many ladybugs. Really? That were coming in the house. Yeah. And I was like, I cannot get rid of the Miller moss myself. Yeah. Well, now we've switched to that and I'm less a fan. Yeah. Although those don't bother me at all. But the Miller moths? Yeah. They're just so dusty and like horrible. They, they are dive dusty. bomb me. I don't know why they're so dusty. <laughs> <laughs> I found one. I have like a towel on the floor in the bathroom for when I get out of the shower. And I 
picked up that towel to wash it today and there was one under the towel. Yep, and they I was crawl like, under things. Why are you under there? That's the worst place for you. When You're I worked in a bookstore, they used to crawl in the rolled up newspapers and we would bring them in and then unroll mm. them and it would just be this like cascade of moths. I sometimes just wish I could communicate with the bugs. Just tell them. Like, especially the spiders. Because I would be like, listen, bro, if you want to hang out in the upper corner <laughs> Broski. of the basement, that would be fine. Yeah. We can live and let live. When you're right next to the light switch, and so I yeah. rush up against you and I turn on the lights, that's not going to happen. Yeah. We cannot allow that yeah. in this house. You're not allowed to live uh, on my shower head. Nope. Anywhere in the bathroom is out. Yep. That's not going to work. If you want to live in the uh, room with the furnace in it, mm -hmm. and you know, great. Yep. That would be fine. Garage? Thumbs up. Garage is okay. But yeah, certain spots, I'm like, no. You can't, you can live in the garage. You cannot dangle from the garage when I open it. Right. <laughs> no dangling while right. I'm around, also. We keep our distance. Yeah. We can keep a respectful distance. Yes. Being uh, inside... <laughs> The bristles of my toothbrush is not a respectful distance, sir. Yeah. I'm going to have to ask you to leave this, well, this plane. Right. <laughs> like... Although I have to say, I'd probably just chuck that toothbrush out the window and be like, Godspeed. You know, that was the end of a toothbrush, yeah. Yeah. Because, uh, I mean, toothbrushes need to be replaced every so often anyway. Yeah. And I was like, you know. I don't want to put that in my mouth again. Yeah. I don't need to. I, I'm not I'm not trying to brag about my riches here, but can I afford a toothbrush to replace one that had a, a spider in it? Yeah, yep. I can. I can. I'm glad to hear you're doing well. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> I was trying not to brag too hard. I was trying not to be super yacht guy, but, you know, I could, uh, I could afford a toothbrush yeah. in the case of horrors. Hey, in this economy? Yeah, I know. <laughs> All right. Remind me. Um, we have 101 Things I Learned in Film School. Yep. Radioactive Dreams. Right. And House of Leaves. Oh, yeah. I want to hear House of Leaves because I'm curious because I've actually read that, but it was a while ago. Okay. So for people who don't know, House of Leaves is, um, well, basically you should pick it up. You could just Google it too and kind of see Yeah. the layouts of the pages are really unusual and stuff like that. And kind of the premise of the book is somebody finds this uh, footlocker full of a bunch of pages. Mm -hmm. And so the way the book is presented is kind of like, imagine you found a footlocker full of pages. You kind of stacked them up as best you could, but you didn't super organize them. And there are scraps within scraps. And then a lot of it's written, you know, in unusual not like left to right whatever right. format like um, circular spirals and like yeah. two words per page yeah and like there's you know a cutout in the middle of the page stuff yeah. like that um we have this apparently on ebook and i'm very curious what that looks like i don't know that i would double check that i'm not sure we actually i do. looked it up today okay. but maybe i'm wrong i okay it's available in ebook in some format right and I'm not real sure about that. Like, yeah, I wondered about it too. I wouldn't recommend it. Yeah, um, it could. It's possible that it works, but also I recommend the book because I think it's important that it's an object. Yeah, 
and I think you'll have a better experience. I, it I is agree. A little bit of an uninviting reading experience. Yeah, you need. To, it's it's better if you can like flip the book upside down and yeah. like turn it around and yeah. bend the page. Like, yeah, I yeah. think you'll be happier with that. Yeah. So the book is. Um, it's kind of a haunted house story, mm-hmm. but it's start. It's a very slow burn, and it's kind of more unsettling than it is like. There's not like a thing jumping out at you, really. Right. As um, the beginning of the book is kind of, I can't remember how the guy discovers this, but he basically discovers that the house he's living in is the dimensions of it inside are slightly larger than the dimensions of the outside. Right. And it's by a small amount. It's like a quarter inch difference or something. And so then he kind of becomes obsessed with trying to figure out like what's going on. And, you know, he hires contractors and surveyors and stuff because he's like, it must be something I'm doing right. wrong. Because it's not like something that makes sense where the inside is a quarter inch smaller than the outside. Yeah, it's the opposite. Right. And you're like, this is it's impossible. Right. right? It can't be this way, but it is. Yeah. So, you know, he hires people. He's trying to figure it out. Everybody kind of comes to the same conclusion, but also everybody's kind of like, I mean, okay, so your house is a quarter inch bigger inside than outside. Like, eh, who cares? And then I find that alarming myself. Yeah. And it's weird because he is like curious about it, but also it is kind of like unsettling in a way. Yeah. Then uh, things kind of come to a head at the first point because they come home from being somewhere and they uh there's an extra doorway that was not there and it's you know in the hallway and it's like finished the same as the other doors it looks like it's been there as long as the other doors um but there's a a new doorway yeah. and a hallway and you know they call the police who come and the police are understandably skeptical <laughs> they're like sure pal yeah it's kind of like <laughs> can i give you the can i offer you this breathalyzer test <laughs> yeah and they're like i mean uh, you know if i'm being very generous as a police officer i think i'd be like well i have no choice but to believe you at the same time i am very unequipped to do anything about this well yeah what you do know, you do yeah yeah this someone is the- added a, a hallway to my house yeah okay which I guess, by the way, if you're an eccentric billionaire and you really wanted to free someone out, there you go. <laughs> Wait till they go on vacation and then build on a room. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> and finish it exactly like the rest of the house. You know, make it seem like it's been there forever. Nobody knows. Do it all in one night. You know, screen it off from the neighbors. I don't yeah. know. Anyway. So, you know, and things get weirder and weirder. And, you know, kind of more menacing Mm -hmm. as it goes you know so it's it's a slow burn it's not the easiest read in the world but it's one where like i i think it's very worth it i've read some books that kind of experiment with format and stuff and i find them obnoxious or Mm -hmm. like there's one called the interrogative case yeah that was recommended to me that i hated because every sentence ends in a question mark you know and i was like Maybe maybe this book hit differently before up talking was such a thing. Oh. So But you uh, just heard like heard like a valley girl reading a book? Kinda, yeah. yeah. <laughs> In my head that's what it was doing. And yeah. I was like, oh I hate this. Um But I think House of Leaves is one that one of very few that I would say works. And like it it um 
it does require more of the reader, but it's rewarded. Right. So the effort is worth the outcome. The reason this has come up a lot lately is, um, okay, so there's an online community community called the Doom Modding Community. And what this is, is people who modify the game Doom. Oh, okay. That we all remember from sure. computers. It's kind of like one of the very early first-person shooter games. Right. Um, Everyone was convinced that it was, like, going to bring hell on Earth. Yes. Doom the children. Yes. This was, like, a very early entry into the, like, do you know what your children are up to right now and yeah. whatever? Um and it turns out what mostly children were up to was like learning how to program things in Doom, which yeah. was actually great. Yeah, <laughs> which resulted in them getting really good jobs when they aged. Pretty amazing. <laughs> yeah. Um, there's also, if you ever want to look it up, there's a really hilarious commercial for like the newest version of Windows, I think, with Bill Gates in it. And they kind of like composite put him in the game Doom. And he's like, wow, these new video games sure look realistic on the new Windows, whatever. And it's it's so funny. All right. <laughs> it's so good. <laughs> it's so cheesy. Anyway, um, so there's this big community and they release what's called Doom Wads. Um, that's like after the file name. And what it is, is it's kind of a layer you put on top of Doom and it changes the game. So... You can make your own stages that work just like a Doom stage. Right. But you can also do things like people have... Um, a fairly famous one was actually released by the Chex Serial Company. They released a game called Chex Quest, which uh, modified Doom so that you're kind of this like space explorer guy trying to fight sogginess that's trying to <laughs> soggyify cereal. <laughs> like... And they put this in a CD-ROM into boxes of Czech cereal. The 90s was wild, everybody. Yeah. Like, yeah. It's the Wild West out there. They were like, how should we sell this Czech cereal that's for grandpas? I know. We'll put a first-person shooter inside of it. <laughs> but anyway. Um, and people have done all kinds of things and experimented with different things in Doom. Um. Recently, somebody released a thing called My House, and it's a Doom Wad. It's just called My House, and it comes with like a text file, and the person who put it up is explaining that um, they had a friend who passed away, and they were going through their stuff, and they used to modify Doom together and play around with it. And this friend of his had uh, left an unfinished Doom mod, so he decided to finish it, and... Um, He's kind of got an ongoing diary where he's keeping track of the changes he made and stuff. But it starts getting weird, and he starts talking about how um, he can't remember which changes he made and which his friend made. And then he's starting to get suspicious that, like, something's wrong with the code that's changing the mod on its own and doing other things that he didn't intend. Is this intend. real? Or is this, like, a story? I don't want to, like, you know, is spoil like that a... for anybody. Okay. There's a really great video on YouTube. If you go, th if you just look up Doom My House, um, it's about two hours long oh. and it kind of explores everything that happens. But so what ends up happening is um, you get into this mod and it seems like a normal Doom game, but then odd things happen. 
So one of the things in Doom is that the architecture of it does not allow for spaces to be above or below each other. Right. It's two-dimensional in terms of height. Right. One level. Yeah. yeah. You can't have architecture above or below another room. Um, but that happens in this mod. Like, they've worked that out somehow, so you can do that. So that's like minorly unsettling you know but not really uh -huh. but then like weird things start happening where there's a basically an impossible doorway into this other room and then you start getting into these other very strange spaces that don't behave like other spaces um and more of the narrative of the creation of it starts coming out and it's uh it's a really weird experience and like uh, watching this video of it, I was like, this is, I think, the creepiest thing I've seen in a long time. Yeah. Like, I don't really get creeped out by horror movies and stuff. And I was watching that and was like, this is genuinely, I find this creepy. Yeah. And very interesting. Um, So there are a lot of parallels between this and House of Leaves. And I'm not, like, originating that idea. Right. This is in, like, many people who've discussed this Doom mod talk about it. So I do recommend the uh, the two hour. If you look up my house doom mod or whatever, um, I'm trying to remember the guy who's who does it. Power Pack, I think, is the person's name. Um, it's pretty good, and like even if you're not a doom person, stick with it for like 15 minutes. Yeah, because at first it's a little bit like. Well, this is unusual for Doom. This doesn't work in Doom. But then it gets into things that it's like, this shouldn't exist at all. Like, yeah. this doesn't make any sense. And it's so, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Obtuse. Uh -huh. Some of the ways it works is, and it, I don't know, it's a very strange experience. All right. So I highly recommend watching that and just kind of letting that person walk you through it. Because right. you don't have to play it for yourself or whatever. You can watch that. Um, and that's a really great parallel experience to House of Leaves. Okay. There you go. House cool. of Leaves. Very nice. my house. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Do you remember what you what I brought? I remember Safe Cracker. Yeah. Peculiar Combination. <laughs> that's a much better name than mine. <laughs> Safe Cracker. <laughs> Well, you know, she and has a job for a reason. Drag queens. The hips on the drag queen go swish, swish, swish. And then I don't remember the other one. Dark Matter Presents Human Monsters. Short stories. Oh, yeah. I did like that one. I want to hear about uh, Peculiar Combination. Okay. Uh, so this is the first in a series. And the main character is Ellie. I think it's McDonald uh, is her name. And she is... Um, she's, I believe, orphaned. At any rate, she lives with her uncle and her cousins, and her uncle is a locksmith. That's the family business. And uh, now it's World War II, and her two cousins have both gone to war. One of them hasn't been heard of since Dunkirk, and so they're worried about him. Mm. Um, and because of the war, there's a lot less of a call for locksmithing. So they're starting to struggle financially. They're, they're not having enough business. So when that happens, they also are expert safe crackers. <laughs> <laughs> well, so, we're going to go a pivot. Yeah. <laughs> the opposite. So when things get desperate, um, they kind of keep an ear out for like low key jobs. So stuff that they can do that's not going to 
draw too much attention. So they're not going to like take the crown jewels or anything. Mm -hmm. But if they hear about like a a marginally well-off family with a safe, you know, they may figure out how to go in and, and empty that safe. So it opens with them on a job. They come to this house and they open the safe and they take out all the jewels and everything is going well. It's um, during World War II, so it's blackout conditions. So it's uh, much easier for people to kind of move about in the night without being spotted, mm -hmm. which is part of why, you know, this is kind of one of the things that they do, especially at this time. So they leave the house and they're walking around and then they get stopped by people who and they get kind of caught. And it turns out the people who caught them work for the government in an intelligence capacity. And they offer to forget this all happened if they will help this department open a safe for someone <laughs> uh, uh, that belongs to someone who they suspect of colluding with the Nazis. This is such a classic, like, yeah. okay, we busted you for safe cracking. And in order to not get in trouble for safe cracking... You're going to crack another crack safe. safe. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> awesome. Okay. So it gets really interesting though, because they, they take Ellie they're, they're They keep her uncle like pr prisoner. Like he's in a, it's a nice place. He's like a hotel sure. room, but they're not going to let him leave until she's done. He's kind of the collateral. Exactly. To, yeah. Yeah. So they take her to this place and they're, they're going to, you know, have her crack the safe and they come into the room with the safe and the safe is wide open and all of the papers are gone. And the, the suspect, the guy who owns the safe is dead on the floor. Hmm. So they're like, huh? So now, <laughs> now these papers they were trying to get back are, are in play. And so she decides that she would like to continue on this case and ends up working with the government to kind of investigate who who committed the murder, who took the papers, um, can they get them back, can they keep them, excuse me, from the Nazis and all of this stuff. And it's 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 a fun historical mystery that has an interesting conceit. Like you you don't get a lot of safe crackers, or at least I haven't read many. Mm -hmm. um, and the time is interesting because it's you know World War II and with the blackout and the rationing and it's it's it all comes together to make a really interesting story i like that i always when i hear about a book like that and it's got like a a fun title mm -hmm. i always wonder like what the like the word document was called on the computer because right. i if it was me it would be called like you know stealing back the stolen documents right <laughs> you know and I'd be like, this is really... dead nazi surprise <laughs> yeah. I'd be like man i gotta change that title like this is terrible <laughs> I like that. I like that. Uh, I love that storyline for some reason. Yeah. Of like, it reminds me of um, the the book by the computer hacker guy, Ghost in the Wires, Kevin Mitnick, because okay. he was like a big computer hacker yeah. and got in a bunch of trouble. And then the government was kind of like, well... You could work for us, and then we could kind of just... <laughs> it's like that Catch Me If You Can guy. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, who just, yeah, I think he has a new book out that's like, I think it's targeted towards older folks and mm -hmm. about how to not get scammed, yeah. basically. Um, but it, I gather it has some good info in it for everybody. Yeah. Like about email phishing and stuff. And they made a really good musical about his life. Did they really? Yeah. Huh. Called Catch Me If You Can. Seems like an interesting person. Yeah. And like, they also made a really good movie called yeah. Catch Me If You Can. So. Yeah. 
something for everybody. But yeah, I like the safe cracking thing too. Is like yeah, very it's classic. interesting. Have you ever been on the subreddit? I think it's called What's in the Box. I, I don't read it. I'm too old for that. Uh, okay. I didn't, but then sometimes What's in the Box is all people who allegedly found a safe or something like yeah. that and are trying to figure out how to open it to okay. see what's inside. And so they consult with, you know, the Reddit community to basically right. be like, what's How do I the way to open this? Yeah. Um, interestingly, I guess there are some safes that had supposedly have like a poisonous element to them oh. that was meant to be deployed if you tried to like drill the hinges or something like that. Okay. Um, so people, safes from certain eras or people are like, you need to be really careful right. uh, trying to crack this safe because you could get in a lot of trouble. Yeah. But uh, yeah, it's it's kind of fascinating. It's kind of hard because that subreddit in particular, you're like, there's a lot on here I don't really think is real. Yeah. But it's kind of fun. My brother follows someone on social media called The Lockpicking Lawyer. Oh, me too. Yeah. 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 It's pretty amazing. It's basically videos of this guy who just like... As a hobby. Yeah. He, he picks locks yeah. and like... And people send him their ways. unpickable locks. Yeah. Which is always great. It's like half his stuff is someone being like, you know, Master Lock will, or whoever will right. send him a lock and they're like, this is unbeatable. And it's like 47 seconds later, it's open. Yep. <laughs> and he's like, well, here's your problem. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. It sounds interesting. I, I don't particularly I don't watch his videos or anything like that, but I know my brother loves them. It's like one of those. I, I think this is like to me the good side of the internet yeah because you're just like oh these weird niche things yeah. like there's a whole community of what's in this safe and a whole community of like lock picking just as a hobby you yeah. know and whatever do you have you ever seen videos of the guy who scams the scammers he yes. like has a voice changer where he pretends to be like an old lady and just wastes the time of these <laughs> like scam farms in like india and if they take it too far, he like hacks into their files or yeah, yeah, I love it. Those are pretty amazing. It's hard to get mad at that when it's like, well, he's wasting the time of these people who wanted to steal, you know, thousands of dollars from a little old lady. I know, I know, it's really <laughs> terrible. I don't know. Yeah, but anyway, yeah, that sounds excellent. It's it's pretty good. And it's the first in the series, so if anybody's interested, there's more to come after that. And she wrote another mystery series called Murder at the Brightwell. So, if you like a historical mystery. Okay. All right. So, I talked about Mr. Burns mm -hmm. and House of Leaves. And then I didn't talk about 101 Things I Learned in Film School. Um, that one's by Neil Landau. It's part of the series, 101 Things I Learned in Blank School. Right. Um, I think we have four or five of them, but there are others as well. Um, I read one about architecture, because... Many, many years ago, I worked on um, the team that did, like, the remodel for FAR. Right. And I was like, I don't know what anyone's talking about. Like, I don't know what a soffit is. Right. You know? And so I was like, I should just read this and it, just to get a quick idea. And it was really helpful because, like, it gives you the very basic stuff. Right. So the film school one, for example, I think would be great to read. For some, any amateur filmmaker of any kind, like even if you're just making a YouTube video with a straight on camera on your right. face, it can give you some ideas and I think help you avoid uh, the major pitfalls right. that 
it's not just about like movies should and must be this way. It's more like about, well, if you make a movie this way, it'll more clearly convey what you're trying to do. Right. Um, and it's just a lot of little tidbits, for example, like the 180 degree rule or like there was one that I thought was interesting because it was like um, when you have actors on set and they're trying to do a scene, it can be useful to clear their sight line because there's always a bunch of junk in the background right. or like people or whatever. And so it's like, well, if you can try and get that as uncluttered as you can, at least that way, maybe they they won't get distracted. Don't have some guy walking around right over there you know, like right. while they're trying to do a scene. Um, just little things like that that I'm yeah. like, oh, I never probably would have thought of that. But that is kind of interesting. Yeah. I like those behind the scenes things. Look into, yeah. you know, what it takes to like make a movie. Yeah. I think it does give you a greater appreciation for like how much goes into making even a pretty simple movie. Right. Um, and I like it. I like this series of books, too, because it's like you get to sort of dip into these different knowledge areas. Right. And like maybe just pull out a couple things. Right. Um, you but, get the benefit of from an expert without needing to be one. Yeah. Yeah. And like you get. You get just little things, too, that might not be expected. You get, like, technical things, but then you also get philosophy things. Yeah. Like, this one um, was, like, don't make an anime. If you make an animated movie, don't do things that you could do in real life with it in an animated movie. Because then why? Right. Why are you making an animated movie? And I was like, oh, that's a really good point. Like, Toy Story is a good example of, like, certainly at that time... Right. That would have looked terrible if they tried to make it look real. And probably Woody would be a frightening, right. uncanny valley doll right. thing that would <laughs> terrify children. <laughs> um, so anyway, that's that. Um, Radioactive Dreams yes. by Justin DeClue is basically he goes through all the movies of filmmaker Albert Pune, who made a ton of movies. Um, some of his, his most famous is Cyborg, starring Jean-Claude Van Damme, which is kind of a hot mess <laughs> um <laughs> to put it generously he made the uh not very good captain america starring um jd salinger's son matt salinger mm. um which has some highs and a lot of lows okay he made doll man the famous doll man about the uh space cop who comes to earth but then uh is about the size of a Ken doll, which is because <laughs> he's not shrunk down. That's just the size his alien race is. Right. So, okay. <laughs> doll man. Um, alien from L.A. Did he write these in addition to making them? Or Some of them he did. Okay. Some of them. Doll man, I think, was a work for hire. He did all kinds of different, you know, he did work for hire stuff for Charles Band and like Full Moon type stuff. He did uh, his own things. Um, and it's probably the things where it was his own ideas that seems like it was the better okay. things. He is a very famous case of like studio meddling. Uh. Um, and like, he, well, basically it goes through his career. Um, oh, one more movie. Brain Smasher, A Love Story. <laughs> of course. Which is that that, that classic. What's amazing about that, it's called that, first of all. Right. Secondly, it stars Andrew Dice Clay oh, as no. the main character. What's amazing about it is it's actually pretty good. 
Um, it's like if you ever watch a chef show where they take really bad ingredients and then they make something really great. You're right. like, I think he kind of pulled it off. Okay. I think this works. Um, he's like this filmmaker who, though, he never really got like his big breakthrough. And right. it's sort of weird that he never did because he got so many things that were so close. And then what ended up kind of happening is he got relegated to this filmmaking where studios would be like, uh, we're going to give you a third of the budget and you've got 30 days. And, you know, then he would make the movie and then they'd be like, great, you've got 20 days now. You know, and he they just there was a time when making movies, if, as long as you had a passable thing that pretty much looked like a movie, yeah. the studio could profit from that by like selling it to TNT or whatever. Right. Um, and he did a lot of that. And so I think he got kind of trapped in that, you know, not by his own doing. Right. Also, he had a lot of movies where he was working on it and then it was going over budget. And I guess there's this thing in film where there's kind of an insurance situation where if it goes a certain amount over budget or over deadline, uh, another crew is brought in and takes over the movie and finishes it. So huh. they'll be like, Albert Pune, you had your shot. You're out. Bye-bye. Come in, you know, and they bring in just some person to finish it. Right. Um. What I like about this book a lot is that he made some genuinely interesting movies or there are things that are interesting about them, but they might not be my favorite to like actually sit and watch. Right. They're kind of a lot of boring around a few really great ideas or like Alien from L.A. is a good example. It's kind of an interesting movie and an interesting concept, but it stars Kathy Ireland and talking in a very like little girl valley girl kind of voice uh, that like by the end of the movie you're just like i can't take this anymore yeah you it's just like, wanted to put a screwdriver in your ear yeah you could have a you could have a side character do it but like for the entire for her to carry the movie right it's kind of the mistake of like you know james cameron when he made terminator i think was smart because arnold doesn't really carry that movie right he's got uh linda hamilton and uh what's his face Sean michael Bean. Bean. michael Bean. Um, they carry the movie. Well, he does too, but he does it with presence. And very little dialogue. Right. <laughs> he does, he's not, he has no exposition. Right. You know what I mean? He does not have to explain that he's a cyborg from the future. Right. <laughs> and like, that was a great way to do that. Yeah. He has a few insults, a couple of threats. Yep. And he's done. Albert Pune did not go that route. Mm. And that was a mistake. But anyway, um... What I like about it, too, is the guy who wrote it, Justin DeClue, is like a big film fan and whatever. And he's genuinely a fan of this guy. So he, he gives a very honest and, you know... Clear-eyed. Uh, yeah. He gives a good view of it. He's not, like, overly protective of Albert Pune and his movies. But he's also doesn't hate them. Right. He's not, like, making fun of them. Right. And he talks about them a lot in terms of, like, the opportunity that was there that didn't get realized and a lot of times why and yeah. how that happened. Um, I found that very refreshing. Cause yeah. Because I think there's a lot of media about bad movies and yeah. why they're bad. Yeah. But this was kind of a media about some bad movies, some good movies, but, you know... How that big picture. Yeah. I would much rather read criticism from someone who's still like 
who understands it and enjoys it Mm -hmm. and can point out where it's maybe not perfect, but it's still coming from a place of like, this is still good or great or interesting in some way. It's more, it's better for me than someone who's just like, this is garbage. Yeah. Because where do you go after that? It's like, well, yeah, I don't know. Well, it's kind of the thing where he's saying, um, I wanted this to be better than it was. Right. Like, you know, in my, in my perfect world, he lives in another dimension where everything's the same except the films of Albert Pune right. worked out, you know, and he achieved his vision. Well, we all kind of do this, right? When we fan cast movies or fan cast books, yep. like we're yep. creating the version that we imagine would be so great. When you were talking about that T. Kingfisher book, I was casting the mom yeah. in that as Amy Poehler. So it's like <laughs> she was fun mom colorful mom right and now she's like you know yeah gone the other brow way. beaten mom yeah. and i was like this would be great they always do that thing where like the comedian takes the serious acting turn yeah. sometimes it works sometimes it does not but i was like i think amy poehler is ready for that if she would do it yeah amy poehler i'm offering you yeah. a starring role in a movie that i don't <laughs> own the rights to <laughs> so <sighs> So that's that's my books. All right. Excellent. So um, the first book I brought was Dark Matter Presents Human Monsters, mm-hmm. um, which is a collection of short stories that I am decided to read because it was nominated for the Stoker this year. And so I was like, cool, uh, that sounds like something I want to read. And also I recognize some of the names, some of the big up and comers like Stephen Graham Jones and that kind of thing. So the theme of the of the book is that all of these short stories, they're all horror and uh, they are all like the the monstrous part of it. The horror of it all is based in humanity. It's not like there's some scary monster or demon or evil force. It's like all of the worst parts of these stories stem from our humanity. And like that's what's truly terrifying is like what people are capable of Mm. so just to pull out an example so you kind of have an idea of what you might be reading there and they're all they tend to be pretty short so you can kind of dip in and out and as you have time there's um there's this family and the the story is narrated by one of the daughters and they are Um, living in a cult situation. So the parents are in a cult and the daughters live with them. And she's talking about how... (laughs) I just dropped my phone for anyone who's curious. (laughs) She's talking about how today is the day that the world is supposed to end. And uh, that's what their prophet tells them. And she sees that her aunt is there and her aunt is like her mom's sister, not part of the cult. She occasionally brings them food and stuff because they aren't getting enough to eat. They don't really make any money. So she sees her aunt is there and she's bringing in groceries and she's really hungry. So she's like, awesome. Soon as my aunt is gone, I'm going to go in there. I'm going to eat some food. Um, And then like her aunt does find her and says, like, you need to call me if anything, you know, if you ever need anything, call me. I'll come and get you. And then she leaves. So... Later on that night, she hears like a ruckus and it turns out that the barn is on fire 
And she's like, this is it. This is the end of the world. Like, just as it was foretold, because she would mm-hmm. had been disappointed. Like they said it was going to happen and it didn't happen. <laughs> now she's like, here it is. Like, this is this is our test of faith. And so she gets her little sister up while her father and mother are fighting the fire. And she walks her sister into the fire to prove their faith. Oh, boy. Yeah. Okay. So when they say dark, dark matters, they mean it. Like, yeah. Yeah. Um, but really intense and troubling and, and freaky, but um, intriguing, too. Like, it makes you think. And I like that the scary part is very much based in reality, like what mm-hmm. things that could actually happen. Um, there, Everything I've read so far, I've been really pleased with. I'm about halfway through the book and really enjoying it. Um, cool. And it is available on our Libby app. Oh, okay. Yeah. Electronic books. Electronic books. Only we knew the person responsible we could say thank you to for buying that. It's a mystery. (sighs) The real mystery is us. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And then my other book was uh, The Hips on the Drag Queen Go Swish, Swish, Swish. Oh, yeah. By Lil Miss Hot Mess, who is a drag queen. (laughs) Uh, Drag queen names. Mm-hmm. I was about to say are the best, but roller derby names mm, are also yeah. pretty good, and they do have an edge of violence that I appreciate. <laughs> yeah, there. Yeah, the drag queens are. They have the names in there, and they're pretty fun. Um, I wish I could remember them because I would share them, but they made me chuckle. So the story is pretty simple. It's just, um, it's like you said, it's the wheels on the bus. So it starts with the hips on the drag queen go swish swish swish. And then it's like the uh, lips on the drag queen go blah, 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 blah. You know, like the hair on the drag queen is high, 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 high. So, and uh, the illustrations are a bunch of drag queens kind of walking through a town that looks to me like San Francisco. Um, and on the right half of the page, it's very like drab, black and white, kind of sepia toned. And on the left side of the page where the drag queens are, you get lots of color and vibrancy and life. And as they're walking through, like they're bringing that color into the town. And so it's a a pretty simple kind of rhymey book that would make for a really good read aloud story time. Uh, And the drawings are especially fun because they're just so like lighthearted and colorful and you get the you get all different kinds of drag queens like anybody who watches rupaul's drag race which i do (laughs) knows there are different kinds of drag queens you get your glamorous ones and you get your weird ones and the ones that have beards and like so you get all different kinds of drag queens and um it's there's nothing like weird presented it's basically just a bunch of fantastical looking people in bright bright colors bringing like color and light and fun to the pages of the book and yeah it was it was delightful i chose to read it because a lot of people are bringing it up right now in the same way that gender queer is getting you know brought mm-hmm. up people have problems with it being available to kids and you know it, as far as i'm concerned parents can read their children whatever they want at story time if they feel like this is not something they want their kids to read that's fine but i thought that it was genuinely fun and cute and yeah, you know, it would be a fun thing to read out loud because it does have that sing-songy kind of aspect. Yeah. Yeah, it seems like Wheels on the Bus is one that kids would know. Yeah. So then you could change up the words and do something different. because yeah. you tell them once and they already got it. They know what they're doing. Yeah. <laughs> Plus Wheels on the Bus. I mean, yeah. Yeah, good foundation for an idea, but, uh, eh, you know. Yeah. Not It's not my top favorite song. Sure. 
to be honest. It's a little bleh. <laughs> <laughs> doesn't doesn't have the appeal yeah. of something else more specific or enough, interesting to me. So that sounds like a good uh, remix. Yeah. If you will. Yeah. It's like a, yeah, it's taking a new, fresh look at the whole thing and something that's, you know, a silly, lighthearted. I watched um, part of like the first season of RuPaul's Drag Race Mm. not too long ago. And you could tell, I mean, like all reality shows, they were like figuring it out as they went along. They did not have any money in season one. I wouldn't watch season (laughs) one. You could tell. I was like, these are really odd sets. And like everything that's happening. Things are shaking. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's not good. You could tell also, I mean, or at least I suspect that they were like... It's kind of a miracle that show got made because I think they were like, I don't know, is anyone going to watch this? Like, is this going to work? Is yes. <laughs> it turns out a bunch of people are going to watch it. Yeah. But yeah, it was. It's just very. It's funny to watch like the first season, yeah. or maybe even a little beyond. I don't know, but it's so like quaint. Yeah. <laughs> like it's... my favorite season is four or five. I can't remember which, but it's the season with Bianca Del Rio who is still my favorite drag queen to appear on the show. Although I also quite like Bob the Drag Queen. Bob the Drag Queen. Yep. That's both a great and extremely lazy name that I really enjoy. Yeah. <laughs> Bob the Drag Queen is a, a fantastic drag queen who does nothing to discri- to dis- uh, like disguise his voice. And, you know, like... What's your drag queen name? Bob the Drag Queen. <laughs> that's yep. that's great. I yep. like that. <laughs> I recommend. Recommend. Uh, okay. But yeah, that's a tangent. So there those you are go. my best. Oh no, yeah. <laughs> that's great. What a great selection we had today. Yeah, I think we had some interesting things. Probably our best episode ever. That's what I'm anticipating. Everyone will say. Yeah. You know, despite uh, despite not having an awesome vocal flub to start on. How dare. <laughs> I try. Well, I didn't try. It's it's shine a spotlight on my human foibles. <laughs> yeah, that's what we're here to do. This is hard hitting journalism. <laughs> All right, everybody. We'll see you next time. Bye.